I am honored to be able to introduce to our church family, Michael O. Michael, I want to invite you to come on up. Michael is the president and CEO of Lausanne, which is a movement to resource and catalyze global church leaders. It's a really significant work that he's a part of, and we are honored to have him with us. Michael may be one of the most brilliant men that I've ever met. But that's not what draws me to him. It's the fact that he is a humble man and a man with a passion for God's kingdom. And I think you're going to hear about that and experience that this morning. So, Michael, thank you, brother. It's so good to have you with us. I'll invite you to stand as we read a very familiar passage perhaps the most recited passage in all of Scripture that you have experienced in your life. And that's from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Go ahead and be seated. My wife and my family and I served as missionaries in Japan for about 12 years uh, before transitioning to leading the Lausanne movement uh, for the last 10 years. And... Our time in Japan was a wonderful blessing. We were MTW missionaries. We're still MTW missionaries. So we're thankful for the many churches and people all across the country who support the work of MTW and really believe in our denominational mission. In Japan, every single New Year's Day, you will find most Japanese at a Shinto shrine. And most of them will buy something called an omamori, Omamori. Now, an omamori is a prayer or kind of like an amulet or a good luck charm that is supposed to have some special power. There is one type of omamori that you buy to get into, help you to get into college, one to help you to find a spouse, a really good one, not just any spouse, another to help you stay safe while you're driving, another to help you to get pregnant. Another to help you to get rich. But no matter what kind of omamori you buy, you must remember something very important, which is to go back to the shrine on January 1st of the next year. Do you know why? Because they expire on December 31st. (laughs) And while, while we laugh at that, To be honest, sometimes Christians can treat the Lord's Prayer in the same way, like some sort of amulet that holds some sort of magic that if we pray it, or especially pray it a lot of times, or say it really loudly, it will yield some sort of power, some sort of magic, no matter what the heart and life is like of the person who prayed it. No doubt the Lord's Prayer is one of the most beautiful and most powerful prayers in all the world. But it may also at the same time be one of the most abused or at least 
most misused prayers in the world as well. And when the Lord's Prayer is prayed without understanding, without grasping its beauty and power, when it's rambled through again and again like some sort of magic spell, we miss out on the opportunity not just to understand prayer, but to understand the Lord's teaching on the purpose of life. Now, there's a basic biblical principle a little later on in this same chapter in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And similarly, what you pray about and for, there your heart is also. Think about your own prayers that you pray throughout the day. Those prayers reflect your heart, do they not? The things that are heavy on your heart, the things that you hope for, the things that you are longing for. Your prayers are a reflection of your heart. So if we want to understand Jesus' heart, we can understand it and see it and find it in the Lord's Prayer. So let's dig into the text. I invite you to keep your Bibles open if you have them. Our Father. First of all, this is a shockingly direct and personal addressing of God as Father. And then secondly, Jesus is inviting us incorporating us into his sonship. Now, if there was anyone who could claim exclusive right to address God as my Father exclusively, it was Jesus. So in teaching us to pray to God as our Father, Jesus is inviting us into this beautiful family dynamic and discussion and prayer and intersection and identity. It's wonderful. I think every time we pray this prayer, as we address God as my Father, it's a great time to be reminded of who we are, to be reminded of our merciful adoption as orphans without Christ. Each one of us, spiritual orphans, before Christ made us a part of His family. Imagine, then, what prayer sounds like to God. Every single moment of every single day in thousands and thousands of languages, in hundreds of millions of voices, beautiful voices of young and old spiritual adoptees calling out to Him, our Father. And one day our Father will be addressed as my Father by children of God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation on earth, in heaven. So here we see that there is an undeniable, overwhelming otherness of God, God in heaven, that God has perspective, heavenly perspective that we do not share. He has unbelievable reach. He has grand exaltation. He has heavenly authority. We have this beautiful dynamic of the nearness of a father and the majesty of a God who is in heaven come together to us in Christ. And to this God in heaven, we, the church, the global church, are taught to pray. And here in these first three petitions, this first half, we see prayers for worship, kingdom, and obedience. First worship, hallowed be your name. Uh, so here, purpose is now revealed. The first petition that Jesus teaches us to pray toward is towards the glory and the worship of our heavenly Father. Hallowed be your name. It's actually the New Testament flip side of the third commandment. 
May your name not be taken in vain, but instead may it be treated as holy. It's the heartfelt prayer that God would be worshipped and adored. It's the prayer that nothing would compete for our affection. We want to worship God. We want to know him, each of us, personally, individually. But personal worship alone is not enough. Personal worship is not enough. God's purposes are global, and God's people should have a holy dissatisfaction with the worshiplessness of the world. But there are three billion people in the world who have little to no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That these three billion do not worship or hallow the blessed name of the God who made them. Hallowed be your name. Personal, but not just personal, but global. Not just in my heart, but everywhere. And so we pray, your kingdom come. And this is very much related to the first petition. As each individual hallows and worships God, the kingdom grows. Jesus teaches us to pray kingdom ushering, kingdom calling prayers. So how, how far have we come toward the building of the kingdom of God? We have seen tremendous advances toward the global expansion of the kingdom. Christianity today is a more global faith than at any time in history. Christianity today is the most global faith in the world. There are Christians literally in every single nation on earth. There has been tremendous kingdom growth, in particular in Africa and in Latin America and in Asia. Christianity today is stronger in the southern hemisphere than it is in the northern hemisphere, stronger in the east than it is in the west. And this growth is beautiful, but it's also a part of a very important message, that Christianity is not an American religion, and missions is not from west to east. It is from everywhere to everywhere, reflecting both the reality of the global church as well as the goal of our global faith from every nation to every nation. Every nation, a mission-sending nation. Every church, every Christian, a part of God's global and eternal purposes. Did you know that 70% of the world's missionaries are from the non-Western world today? It's a beautiful growth and expression of our global faith. The gospel is going forth from everywhere to everywhere. Uh, up here at the bottom, you see the South Korean flag. Uh, 100 years ago in Korea, there were less than 20,000 Christians. Today, South Korea has sent out 21,000 missionaries to 175 nations. Seven of the ten largest churches in the world are in South Korea. How about China? Uh, for the Lausanne Movement, which was founded by Billy Graham, we have hosted three historic gatherings, the first, second, and third Lausanne Congresses. The third Lausanne Congress brought together 4,000 leaders from 200 nations on earth. It was described as the largest and most globally representative gathering of Christian leaders in the 2,000-year history of our faith. But there were 200 who were missing, 200 from China. 
And those 200, when they went to the airports in Shanghai and Beijing and others, were met by hundreds of police who arrested them, put them in under house arrest, and prevented them from getting on airplanes. But God had a purpose. God had a plan. And he used this to bring greater, stronger, more beautiful unity among these Chinese leaders. And he used it to birth a vision, Mission China 2030. Now, one of the amazing things about China, I don't know if you know this, but there are 100 cities in China with a population of more than 1 million. 100 cities, imagine that. And in those 100 cities, there are 5,000 train and subway stops. Their vision that was birthed out of this persecution and out of this prevention from joining the Third Lausanne Congress is now to see a church planted at every single one of those 5,000 train and subway stops by the year 2030. In the 200-year mission history in China, 20,000 missionaries were sent into China to bring the gospel. Their vision, their hope, their plan is by the year 2030 to see 20,000 missionaries from China to be sent to the rest of the world. They want to repay their missionary debt. The global church is reaching out and mobilizing from every nation to every nation. In fact, the fourth Lausanne Congress will be held next year in September 2024, and it will bring together 5,000 leaders from every single nation on earth and 5,000 who will be a part of Soul Virtual, 10,000 leaders from every nation on earth, influencers for the gospel, and it will be held in South Korea. And it will be upon the 50th anniversary of God's work in establishing the Lausanne movement. So we celebrate all these wonderful things that are going on. In the late 60s, early 70s, we hit a very important point that we celebrate. There was now a Christian in every single nation on earth. And do you know what happened? There was celebration. In fact, the celebration went to the point of saying, we're done. <laughs> we're done. The Great Commission is fulfilled. How do we use that missions budget now? Can get that organ we were hoping for. But at the first Lausanne Congress, Ralph Winter went up and said, we are not done. In fact, when the Bible says that we are to bring the gospel, make disciples of all nations, it is not talking about political nation states. It is talking about distinct ethno-linguistic people groups, unreached people, 17,000 of them who have not yet tasted of the gospel and have not yet had the establishment of the church and the ability to reach out to their own people. We are not yet done. And among the remaining, from 1974 to this day, out of those 17,000, 9,000 9, of them have been reached since that clarion call went out from the first Lausanne Congress. We praise God for that. But there are nearly 8,000 that still have yet to be reached with the gospel. They represent almost 3 billion people. So we celebrate all that God has done, but we remain vigilant to give attention to the work that remains for our generation, for us to be involved in. And so we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come among these thousands of unreached people groups. Lord, may your gospel be established. May your kingdom come among 3 billion people 
who have yet to hear the gospel. Mobilize your church toward that end. And so we pray, your will be done. Your will be done to establish the redeemed from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Your will be done is really a summary prayer of this whole first half of the Lord's prayer. The essential way that the Lord's will is done is when we obey, when we hear his word, when we hear his calls, when we hear his commands, and we step out obediently to follow him. Worship, kingdom, obedience. Now, from these first three petitions, I want to suggest a summary of Jesus' purpose of life for every single Christian from every single nation, and it is this, to passionately pray for and pursue the global and eternal worship of and living for God, to passionately pray for and pursue, personally pursue the global and eternal worship of and living for God. Now, let's take a look at the second part of the Lord's Prayer. So there are commentators, good commentators, who, who talk about some of the structure of the Lord's Prayer and, and suggest that the first three petitions focus on the preeminence of God, and then the final three focus now on personal needs. But there's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. In the first half, Jesus teaches us to cry out to God to accomplish even through our prayers and our lives, God's purpose for global and eternal worship. And the second part is not, it's not just prayer for personal needs now. It is a prayer for provision of all that is needed for such purpose of life laid out in the first section. Let me say this again. The second half of the Lord's Prayer is prayer for provision of all that is needed for the purpose of life, which is to passionately pray for and pursue the global and eternal worship of and living for God. And the second part starts off like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Towards the life that passionately prays for and pursues the global and eternal worship of and living for God, we have needs. Bread. The standard is not luxury, but sustenance. You know, we live in a country where we have to deliberately limit our food intake and the caloric content of our food. Has the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, become meaningless, unneeded for our day and our church? Should we just scratch it off or erase it from our Bibles or not pray it because we don't need this anymore? And if not, what could God be trying to teach you? Would you... Ask God that? God, why, why do you ask me to pray every day? Give, give me my daily bread. You may be thinking, I don't, even, I don't need to pray that. I have, I have two cars. I have a retirement fund. I have disposable income. Why would the Lord have you pray, give us this day, our daily bread. Uh, you do know that only America could have invented such a term, disposable income, right? 
<laughs> disposable diapers, disposable dishes, disposable income. It is ridiculously sounding <laughs> to those who are outside of the West. I mean, essentially, disposable income is saying that everything beyond daily bread, everything beyond sustenance is mine. Everything beyond daily bread is discretionary funds. Perhaps, then, the reason why Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, is because he wants us to view every gift, every resource, every dollar, not as a personal slush fund, but as provision to pursue passionately Christ's purpose for life, through your life, for the global and eternal worship of and living for God. Next, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. This is the prayer for forgiveness and also the power to forgive. Uh, in addition to our most basic physical need, which is bread, now Jesus teaches us to pray toward our most basic spiritual need, which is forgiveness. It's a reminder of our sinfulness and a reminder of mercy that God has for us. It's a reminder of the gospel, the very foundation of the purpose of God emphasized in the first half of the Lord's prayer. This gospel is to be received and also extended to others. So again, South Korea, a hundred years ago, the gospel began to take root in Korea. The gospel reached to my own family through Presbyterian missionaries. I'm the fifth generation of believer on my father's side. We are so thankful for the heritage and the history of mission work through the Presbyterian Church and so many other faithful missionaries around the world. It was that faith that helped them to endure one of the darkest periods of Korean history, which was during the Japanese occupation from 1910 to 1945. As many as 30 million Asians lost their lives at the hands of the Japanese Imperial Army. It was perhaps the greatest loss of human life in the history of mankind. My own great aunt was married off as a young teenager to avoid becoming one of more than 150,000 young women and girls who were made sex slaves of the Japanese Imperial Army and endured horrible, horrible treatment. In the strange and beautiful providence of God, he eventually saw fit to send my father to America and establish a wonderful life there, only to have him later say goodbye to his son, heading back to Asia to bring the gospel to the land of his former enemy. Forgiveness, like the gospel, is to be received and extended to others from every land to every land, even from Korea to Japan. Glorious gospel design. And I want you to know I feel it is one of my life's greatest joys and privileges to have been able to serve for 12 years side by side with my Japanese brothers and sisters in love in reconciliation, in forgiveness, in grace, in living out together the very gospel that we were sharing with the Japanese people. 
Lead us not into temptation. Uh, This seems key. Between our individual salvation and the pursuit of global eternal worship of God lies temptation. What is this? Perhaps for some, that temptation is the worshiping of, the hallowing of God's very provision. Daily bread hoarded like the Israelites, hoarding manna in the wilderness. Perhaps the temptation even includes the idolizing of spiritual blessings from God as well, the idolizing of grace and spiritual comfort. Now, this is an idolatry of Christian comfort that I can, I can kind of understand. It's the comfort of God's grace and love, the comfort of my own salvation, the comfort of a marvelous, guaranteed future. But rather than looking at our own blessed circumstances and then the unfortunate circumstances of others who are without Christ and saying, thank God I'm not them, we need to recognize that our circumstances are by the grace of God alone. And we need to pray for mercy that we avoid the temptations of our blessed circumstances. Have you ever considered for, for even a moment the absolute blessedness and mercy that you were born into your circumstances? You could just as easily have been born in the slums of Bangladesh. You could just as easily have been born as the son of a Shinto priest in Nagoya, Japan. And if you had been born in the slums of Bangladesh, or as a son of a Shinto priest in Japan, how would you want the people in this room to respond? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There is severe and deadly persecution of the church all around the world, especially in what we call the 1040 window. 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude, stretching from Japan across into China, Southeast Asia, South Asia, and to the Middle East and North Africa. The most severely persecuted church in the world is in North Korea. In North Korea, you have all the greatest challenges and problems of humanity combined. You have severe poverty, oppressive communism, global isolation, no political freedom, no religious freedom, no gospel. Now, around North Korea, you can see some billboards with these words on it. We have nothing to envy. Now, of course, this is ridiculous in a country with so little food and no freedom and no hope. But it wasn't always so. In 1907, in the city of Pyongyang, There was a revival. 50,000 Koreans came to Christ. There was such spiritual fervor in the growth of the church that they referred to Pyongyang as the Jerusalem of the East. But since 1995, more than 4 million North Koreans have died of starvation. According to one source, more than 500,000 have fled to China for survival, many women and 80% of them have been sexually trafficked. 
As many as one million have been killed in concentration camps. Nowhere in the world is the persecution of Christians so fierce. Despite that, there is a church, and the church is growing. And there are now over 400,000 believers estimated in North Korea. God's word will go forth. His church will grow with or without us. But we Christians in America, we who have everything, so many resources, so much wealth, so much food, so much freedom, so much, we who have the gospel, we envy, we envy. We envy as we look around us. We envy as we watch TV. We envy as we surf the internet. We envy their car. We envy their home. We envy their job. We envy their family, their education, their looks, their... We envy. Brothers and sisters, you have nothing to envy. You have nothing to envy. You have Christ, the eternal King of glory, and all of His riches, and all of His grace. You have nothing to envy. Can we not learn that important lesson that the North Korean government would teach us? We have nothing to envy. So where do we, where do we go from here? I just want to ask you and encourage you and challenge you to, to take time today. Take time to reflect. Take time to pray. Take time with just you and the Lord or your spouse or your family and say, Lord, you've given us a glorious vision of your purpose for life and your plans for the world. Lord, this is where we are. This is who we are, honestly, this is who I am. This is where my heart is. This is where my life and my purposes, my priorities are. Just match them up. Bring them up. You know, that's scary. That's scary if you are a Buddhist. That's scary if you're a Muslim. That's scary if you are a Hindu. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no fear to bring those realities together. Because we have a God who calls us to repent. And we have a God who has grace sufficient to receive us. This reality, this repentance does not lead to condemnation. It leads to salvation and further beautiful, glorious gospel embrace. So it will bring us to refreshment when we bring our realities before the God who loves us. I want to encourage you. Three numbers. One, ten, and a hundred. Number one flows from a hundred. So I'm going to start there. One hundred, which is, Lord, bring alignment of my life and my purposes with yours. Bring a hundred percent alignment. 
Lord, have mercy on me. Repentance is not just for the moment you become a believer in Jesus Christ. Repentance is for every day and moment by moment and every day as we bring our hearts before God and our Father who loves us. A hundred percent alignment. Align my heart and my purposes with yours. Start there. Number one, one percent. You've heard this from MTW. You've heard this in your own church. The challenge for the church to raise up and send forth one percent or more of this congregation who will go, who will go and say, if I were born in the slums of Bangladesh, this is how I would respond. This is how I would want the people in this room to respond, a sacrificial going. And I hope some of you will get that call this week. And then finally, 10, and that's 10%. What I encourage people is to give 10% or more to the church and to give 10% or more for global mission to bring the gospel to the 3 billion who have never heard. Now, that's a radical thing for some that is a radical, difficult challenge. But I just want you to know that there are so many people around the world for whom that would just be the beginning. People with much less than we have. People with hearts, though, to see the people around the world whom God has made passionately praying and pursuing Him as their Father. You know, 500 years ago, you and I could not read the Bible. It was only in Latin. It was actually illegal to translate it, and the punishment could be death. But William Tyndall had a conviction to make God's Word available to all Christians, to all people. There was another man, Humphrey Monmouth, who wasn't a pastor. He was like probably many of you, sitting out in the pews. He was a businessman. He did clothing and shipping business, and, and he had a generous heart. And he also had a vision for the Bible. And he also had, like Tyndall, a kingdom vision, and he had courage. So God used their friendship, their partnership, to make the Bible accessible to the English-speaking world eventually leading to the Reformation, eventually sparking a global mission movement, and eventually leading to you having your Bible in English with you right now here. All because of two men. When Monmouth heard of Tyndall's death, his execution, after years of imprisonment, he whispered this, You did it, William. We did it. And England will never be the same. You know, there are strategic opportunities. There's a strategic calling for the church and for every one of you as followers of Jesus Christ. There's no one who stands on the sideline for global mission. No one. We have strategic opportunities. It takes strategic partnerships. It takes sacrifice. It takes your time, it takes your prayers, it takes your treasure, it takes your talents, it takes your ties. How will you steward all of those things towards the purposes that God calls you to? 
how we align our prayers and our hearts and our lives with the purpose that God has for His people. How will God's name be hallowed? How will His kingdom come? How will His will be done? When God's people passionately pray for and pursue the global and eternal worship of and living for God. I pray that for you. I pray for that alignment. May God use each one of us. May He use our kingdom-minded friendships. May He use our kingdom-minded partnerships. May He grant to each one of us as you come to the end of your days, this is what I will pray for, for you, in however many days or years you have left, that you would be able to come to the end of your days and see with your own eyes some of the fruit that he born all around the world, all the spread of the gospel through your life. And one day in heaven in the new earth, you'll be able to see all the fruit that you never saw while here on earth. And I ask and I pray for each one of us that God might allow us to say at the end of our days, Jesus, you did it. We did it. And the world will never be the same. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In all the world, may your name be hallowed, O God. May your kingdom come all around the world, O Lord. In China, in Yemen, in Sri Lanka, in Bangladesh, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And toward that end, O God, would you give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, O God, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. So I'm going to invite you to stand as I close us in a benediction. And... Uh, I'm a big fan of Michael Card, and I love his Baroque that he wrote from Numbers. And I have five children. They are 14, 16, 18, 20, and 22 years old. And for every single day of their lives, including from when my oldest Hannah was in the womb, I have uh, sung this song over them. And uh, in the early years, I prayed individually, sang it each individually for f all five of them, and two of them, three of them. Eventually, I was like, let's just all get together. <laughs> just going to do it one time. There are some days I'm just so tired, I'm like, <laughs> go to bed. But uh, I translated this song into Japanese. Uh, I haven't sung this Japanese song too many times, but I think the English version I probably sung over 10,000 times. I did have a chance to meet with Michael Card one time, and, and I told him about this all, and, and I said, I think I've sung this song probably more than you have. And he said, without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. So let me sing this in Japanese to send you all out. Shuga <laughs> 
あなたを守るように平和と平安を与えられますように主が三河を照らし恵みを持って満たし平和と平安を与えられますように平和を永遠に与えられますようにアメン。